Today's reading is from Acts 17, verses 16 to 23. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. And when he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown god. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. The word of the Lord. Do you ever walk through our city or drive through the city and find yourself pretty distressed? Do you turn on the evening news? and nosedive into discouragement. One of the reasons that I think we feel that way as we look around and we see uh, what's going on in our world is because as Christians, if you're a follower of Christ, you know that absolutely things do not need to be the way that we see that they are. People hurting, people caught up in things, destroying their lives and the lives of others. In our passage today, Paul has come to a great city, to the city of Athens, and he's waiting there for Silas and Timothy to show up from the last city that they've been sharing the gospel in. Due to a threat of violence, Paul had to quickly exit, and so it gave him time to just kind of get to know the city in which he was in. Verse 16 tells us that as he walked the city of Athens, he felt greatly troubled or deeply disturbed. Everywhere he looked, there were idols. Today we often think of idols, uh, when we think of idols and idol worshipers, we might think of of a darkened, uneducated city in an underdeveloped part of the world. Athens was not that. In fact, it was the hub of the intellectual and cultural elite of the Roman Empire. It was, say, the Harvard Square or the Oxford of first century Rome. Visualize with me, if you would, philosophers and wannabe philosophers hanging out there in coffee shops or perhaps sitting uh, drinking a craft beer on one of the porticos debating the meaning of life. You couldn't throw a stone, in fact, if you were hitting, uh, without hitting a writer or an artist. 
or an architect or a composer. It was that kind of city. It was, uh, in fact, the place you'd go if you were looking for the edgy, the profound, the exotic, the in looking for intellectual stimulus. Sorry, that's an annoying. Athens was your place you wanted to be, if that's what you were looking for. This creative bent extended to religion as well. And Athena was, of course, the god that most of uh, Athenians worshipped, her and a whole plethora of other gods as well. In fact, they were woven into the fabric of the city. Why does this disturb Paul so deeply? Well, one, he has had an encounter with the living God, and he can't help but want everybody else to know how that had changed his life and to know that their lives could be changed. And there was not a God who would demand things from them that these idols demanded from them, but it was a God who longed for them to flourish and would love them and lead them into the goodness of life. Two, wherever idol worship is found, there are always multiple layers of harm inflicted on people. Self-mutilization to get the attention of the gods or to get to appease them in some way. You would also find uh, many who offered either themselves or their children into what was called sacred or temple prostitution. There were so many layers of harm. And it's tempting to think that idol worship uh, as being concentrated in areas of poverty, lacking education, but it wasn't then, and it isn't now. Yesterday at our uh, devotional time for Neighbor to Neighbor, we were talking about how the, the fact that there is, in, for modern day, there's more modern day slaves now than there have ever been in the history of humanity. People being trafficked for all kinds of purposes. Education and intellectual opportunity and capabilities simply do not correlate to spiritual health. One writer states the elite intelligentsia of a place and the cultured can be some of the most twisted minds among us. We've witnessed that in recent history in the stories of people like Jeffrey Epstein and more recently uh, that brilliant Bitcoin king who's now bankrupt and facing all kinds of charges for a list of things that he has done to others. Intelligence does not equate with goodness. But don't get me wrong. God gave us our minds, and what a beautiful, beautiful gift they are. As Pastor Mike said last week, we are called not only to love God with all of our mind, or all of our hearts, but also all of our minds. But just as the heart without God can be perverse, and hurtful and harmful, so can the mind. And this deeply disturbed Paul as he wandered the city. So what does Paul do about it? Does he pick it in the public square? Does he double down on a certain political party? Nope. He shares the gospel. Athens becomes the first city where Paul not only preaches in the synagogue, but also in the public square. 
He was burdened for a people so lost in their intellectual pursuits that he longed to share the truth and the beauty and the goodness of the gospel. He had encountered Jesus in such a way that he wanted people to know the truth of Jesus Christ. We're in the middle of a series in the book of Acts entitled On Mission. The beginning of Acts, those first 12 chapters or so, are so exciting. The Holy Spirit comes in power. Thousands are added to the kingdom. Believers are unified, sharing everything in common, and miracles occur. And there are all those dramatic occurrences, the death of Ananias and Sapphira, the stoning of Stephen, and then the dramatic conversion of Saul now to Paul this man who had brutally persecuted the followers of Christ is now empowered to preach Jesus to the world, and he can't contain it. And so this second half of Acts, we see the church begin to be scattered because of persecution, and we begin to see Paul and other leaders begin the hard work of the ups and the downs and the successes and the failures of what we call today their missionary journeys, sharing faith with people who didn't always want to hear the message. But up to this point, Paul has primarily shared that message in synagogues to not only Jews, but also God-fearing Gentiles. But here in Athens, his heart extends beyond the religious community that he's comfortable with to the world that God also loves. I hear the echo of Jesus' life and his words in this passage as well. When Jesus was criticized for eating and drinking with a certain kind of person, he communicated, I've not come to call the righteous. I've called to come, the, called, come to call the sinners to repentance. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And Jesus shared his life with those within religious circles and those rejected by religious circles. Well, last week, Pastor Mike, in true Mike Stern fashion, utilized this cute little guy to communicate the gospel. <laughs> I think he's discovered a new evangelism tool about to go viral, the gospel delivered through memes. I mean, really, who could refuse this cute little face? Jesus loves you, right? Who could resist that? And I feel the same way when I read Paul's sermon in this chapter. I think, who could refuse such a beautiful presentation of a real living God? So this whole passage is an intriguing approach to the secular world. It has been studied and dissected and lifted up for its evangelistic prowess. And the fact that Paul now stands where he stands in this moment is a witness to his own intellectual skill set. And he begins in the public square. He engaged in honest, not hostile exchanges with the philosophers in the public square, such as the Epicureans and the Stoics, his scholarly peers. And he presented, represented, uh, or these two groups represented Greek philosophy of popular in the day with kind of the whole crowd. And they taught how people could achieve pleasure 
and happiness, find the most meaning out of life. The Epicureans, on one hand, argued that the key to life was to submit to the laws of nature, live simply and virtuously, but not burden oneself with the cares of the world. And while they figured the gods existed, they did not believe they were involved in day-to-day life. Religion, therefore, was not important. Happiness and pleasure were what the Epicureans were after, getting the most out of life. In fact, YOLO could have been maybe their motto, you only live once. The Stoics, on the other hand, believed that God was everywhere, in nature, in the universe, in humanity, and therefore to live in harmony with everything in the universe. That is what uh, would achieve um, harmony and unity in your life and living by a godly character that was only achieved through virtuous living and self-control. The Epicureans live for pleasure and happiness, the Stoics, virtue, wisdom, and goodness. You can find both of these philosophies alive and well in our world today. And so these are the people that Paul engaged with. And he began to uh, debate with them and think with them. And they began to be intrigued with him. Some of the things they thought were crazy that he had to share, but they were intrigued enough. He had built bridges with them enough that they suggested that he come before their city council. Paul was a Pharisee, and while Pharisees today kind of get a bad rap, they were dedicated scholars. They were well-educated, skilled in speech and debate, and the Greek philosophers thought, while, while they thought that some of Paul's ideas were gibberish, they were impressed and took him before the city leaders, before the council. Scott McKnight, the author of our big read, likens the council in Acts 17 to maybe kind of like a Supreme Court or the Congress of our day. Remember as our passage that Carolyn read reminds us that if the Athenians were anything, they were intellectually curious, always anxious to hear the latest ideas. Topic really didn't matter. They would discuss politics, entertainment, the economy, religion. They just simply loved the world of ideas. So Paul comes before these city leaders and gives a well-thought-out speech. And he begins on purpose with what was intended to land as a bridge, as, a, as an affirmation to his hearers. I have noticed, Paul said, as I walked your great city, that you are very religious. Paul, in other words, has done his homework. Today, when somebody goes in to interview for a job or, say, makes a, goes before the Portland City Council to make a presentation, and I've sat in a few of those meetings, it quickly becomes evident whether this person has done their homework. And you can tell those who have understood maybe the company that they're interviewing with, do they know the culture of the company? Do they understand what their values are? Do they even understand the product that the company is selling? Or if they're before the city council, do they understand what is at stake in the city because of the proposal that they're all considering? And do they know if they've done their homework, they know what the council believes, each one of them, and thinks on the issue? They are 
building bridges simply by understanding the world that they are about to encounter. And that's what we see Paul doing in this passage. He builds a bridge. Now see what you think about this guy. Did he build a bridge? Thank you, Lord. Invited. God bless you guys. Barista, what's going on? God bless you. Hey, how's it going, man? I want the normal, my usual. Yeah, actually, we have a couple girls in line already. If I could just get you moved to the back, and I'll help you as soon as I'm done with that. Sorry about that. Last week first, first to be last. Dude, I just wanted to knock out some devos real quick. I spent some time with Jesus. I woke up kind of late this morning. Yeah, come on, scoot over. Let me sit down. I just want to share something from God's word. He hit me up in my devos this morning. And I was like, I got to share this. Genesis 1, 1. Thirsty, huh? Getting some water? Yeah. Yeah, I know the living water. I was noticing that you're drawing some stuff over here. Back before when I wasn't a Christian, I, I was making so much money as a graphic designer. You been born again? You been born again? born again and you need to quit walking in the flesh i mean obviously you don't really know god your tattoos and you know in your ear and stuff if you don't start out the day by just bathing yourself in prayer the day doesn't even go that well you're not realizing that there is a god he sent jesus to die for you why don't you see that you can't live life without god he's not real he's here i can't yes, see him. i'm just not getting through to you god is real touch. too blessed to be stressed by the devil's mess what's holding you back from committing your life to jesus christ right. it's probably the sin in your life is what's going on Scared? Hey, you gotta be washed by the blood of the Lamb. I mean, so that you are justified, sanctified, future glorified. I mean, this is amazing. You gotta come out. Do you drive a Volkswagen? Yeah, yeah, I do. But regardless, man, you gotta come to church. Hey, remember what I said? Hell, scary. Somebody in the first service clapped when that was over. I said, please don't clap at that. <laughs> That's not quite the bridges that we are looking to build. And unlike this guy, Paul actually does build bridges uh, to his hearers. He not only affirms their great city, but he acknowledges their religious hunger. And he weaves into his language the language of their poets and their philosophers. He uses their, um, yeah, he just uses their scholars to point them towards Jesus. And we'll see that in a minute. He does this, in, uh, he just does a masterful job. And those who study evangelism have made much of this passage, and rightly so. For the last couple of decades, it has been a staple in what is known as the missional movement. If you're not familiar with that, it's really a movement in the church that said, man, we have talked the talk so much and we have not walked the walk very well. And I bought in, I, and I still do. There's so much in the missional movement that is rich and meaningful. It's more about building relationships with people, that bridges can be built, that encourage people and make people want to hear the message. But as we so often do, we swing the pendulum so far that we stopped talking the talk. And what... Uh, what Paul shows us is that we, we've got to do both. We have to build bridges, let God open people's hearts, and as best we can, as we respect them and they respect us, there's going to be more chance of them wanting to hear what we have to share. And so we, Paul then demonstrates that we also need to take it to the next level and just share who Jesus is, share who God is, share the desire of God 
in our lives. Jesus used this approach with people. He built bridges to their world. Every, on almost every encounter, when he was talking with fishermen, what did he say? Let me make you fishermen of men. And he did such a better job with the woman at the well, right, than, than the guy at the water thing, right? Jesus says, you know, you've come to draw water, and you're going to be thirsty again. I would love to, to offer you a water in which you will never thirst again. He opened, built bridges to her life, opened the door that she might listen to what he had to say. Funny how the same words can be used to either burn a bridge or build a bridge with people. It's all the way that we do it. Either evangelism fail guy, that's what that clip was called, by the way, evangelism fails, or we do it in the way that Jesus did it. When someone wanted to establish a new religion in Athens, and I'm pretty sure that that's what the council thought Paul was there to do that day, they had to do three things. One, the speaker had to represent the, the deity at hand. Two, he or she must provide evidence that this deity wanted to live in Athens. And three, they had to prove that the deity's residents would somehow benefit the Athenians. So let's read what Paul says as he steps up before the council that day. We're going to start with verse 23. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He's the God who made the whole world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't need, doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and satisfies, he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole world. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him. And this is actually written by one of their philosophers, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and, and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sin and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who that man is by raising him from the dead. So Paul checks off the first requirement. He is definitely there as a representative of that deity. But Paul says, this deity transcends Athens. He doesn't need to live there. He transcends Athens. He transcends the whole earth. He needs no earthly temple. Paul's deity is not seeking formal induction into the pantheon of gods in their city. That's probably what the council thought they were going to have to make that decision that was on their docket that day, but it wasn't. The decision that they would have to make was a much more important decision. Was this God, this deity that Paul was talking about, was this the one true God? 
Turns out for many that day that being intellectually curious does not equate with seeking after an ultimate truth. And so many of our affluent parts of the world today are the same. Curious, love the world of ideas. I love the world of ideas, but not necessarily wanting to land on an ultimate truth. While this passage has been held up as a model for building bridges to the secular world, it's also been pointed out that Athens is the only place that Paul visited and spoke where a church was not established. And some scholars wonder, did Paul say enough that day when he was before the council? I'll leave that up to God. I don't know whether he said enough or whether he didn't. But here's what we need to know. Whenever we share our faith verbally, and again, the encouragement is to find that place again. But when we share our faith verbally, we cannot control the response. That's just absolutely out of our purview. It's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to faithfully live life in a Christ-like way and share verbally about our faith when the bridge has been built and the door opens up. But people have the freedom once we've done that to one, reject what we've said, two, walk away and think about it, or three, receive the good news right then. Paul had all three responses in Athens this day. His experience before the uh, council closes with these words. It says, when when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection, resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. We will have people laugh at us when we share what we believe. Two, it goes on to say, others said, we want to hear more about this later. We have to give freedom for people to walk away and think about what we've shared and trust God if they come back to learn more. And then three, Include uh, Some joined Paul and became believers, including a member of the ruling council and a woman named Demarius and others. Whether Paul said enough that day or not, I don't know. But personally, I would not down, look down my nose if I had those kind of results. A member of the city council chooses to put their faith in the living God that day. A woman named Demarius, the fact that she's named in this passage means that she was influential and a leader of the city. So we've got two people. And then others also came to believe in that moment what Paul had to share about the living God. In closing this morning, I want us to contemplate some questions. When we walk through the city... Does the distress we feel when we walk or we drive around the city lead us like it did Paul to want to share the gospel? Even as Christians, we sometimes think it will be the right social program. It will be the right political party that will be the answer to society's ills. That's what will change somebody's heart. It won't be. No matter how grandiose the program is, no matter how glorious the political party is, and both are necessary to society. 
We have a shared life with other people of all kinds of belief systems. And to live well together, we need to be governed and we need to have programs. So I'm not putting those things down, but let's not lift them to the place of the gospel. When you are distressed, is your first inclination to say, we've got to share the faith broader? Or is it to double down on your political party or a social program? Godless societies collapse. They collapse again and again. We've seen it all through history, just like first century Rome did. The Christian faith survived, but Rome in all its glory did not. Lives were changed. The poor and the sick were taken care of, not by the government who pushed the vulnerable to the gutters to die, but by followers of Christ. When we are distressed by the condition of our world, please let's don't double down on anything but following Jesus and sharing his love. Next question. Think for a moment about your last encounter and sharing your faith verbally. Did it build a bridge or did it burn a bridge? It's okay to evaluate yourselves. I evaluated my last encounter this year of sharing my faith verbally. I stumbled all over the place. But I think the door stayed open. And I'm going to take that. Church, we're learning. We're growing. Just like mission, you know, I talked about the missional movement, which I love and have believed in so much. We still have to learn. We have to grow. We have to go, okay, that maybe not is, is not working as well as, as we thought it would. We're not seeing numbers of people come to Christ how do we need to adjust? What do we need to do? Same thing personally. Okay, wow, I shared my faith that day. It was great that God opened the door. Uh, but here's what I need to learn. Here's where I need to learn more about in order to share my faith in a better way. The question in that, within that question is the last person you shared with, did they see, feel seen, heard, known, like you understood something about their world before you shared your story. I have a young friend who continues to leave an open door to Christianity because on a really bad night, he encountered some Christian leaders who understood his world. It blew him away that they had read some of the same scientists he had read, that they listened to some of the same podcasts, even those, one of his favorites by an atheist, these Christian leaders had listened to. And so they could dialogue with him. And they kept the door open for him to consider the living God. Okay, and then lastly, last question. Will you venture out and share your faith and then leave the results in God's hands? The only part of the equation of this whole thing is what we will do with the faith that we have. Everything else we have to leave in God's hands. Robert Wall, former professor up at Seattle Pacific University writes, each statement of Paul's speech, comprehensive and coherent, calls his listeners for a conversion of sorts. And every small conversion leads them step by step toward the risen Christ. Paul would go on to write in 1 Corinthians 3, I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. 
all the witnessing we do, either with our lives or with our words, matter. Build bridges. Share your faith and leave the results in God's hands. Let's pray together. Loving God, we thank you. Uh, we thank you that you are the living God and that you've entrusted us who have come face to face with the living Christ like Paul did, not, not in the same way, but we've encountered Jesus in a way that changes us and we so want the world to be changed by who you are. Would you help us begin to rely more and more when we're distressed upon sharing our faith? Might it help us to dig in more deeply and recommit to sharing our faith and building bridges and seeing what you're going to do? I understand, Lord, that and many others do too, that there's a revival that's broken out on certain college campuses this week across our nation would you empower the kids and the professors in those places that their lives might reignite the lives of the church overall into being able to share the gospel with the world that you love? In Jesus' name, amen.